uh, the book of Revelation chapter 2, and we, as already has been mentioned, will be directing our attention to verses 18 through 29. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, we bow in your presence. We are humbled by the ministry of the Spirit of God who dwells in us. Your Spirit bears witness that we are the children of God. And we thank you, O God, that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, that is the evidence that we belong to you. God, we thank you for the convicting and correcting ministry of the Holy Spirit, who is the parakletos, who is our advocate, the one who comes alongside us and directs us. God, we thank you that he is indwelling us right now. And so by this ministry, oh God, we are anticipating that he will be our teacher today because we need to hear a word from you. Speak, oh Lord. Touch, oh God. Heal in the mighty name of Jesus, oh God. We thank you for the authority that is in that name that is above every name, the name of Jesus the Christ. We pray in that name. And the church said, amen. Now reach out to somebody, and I hope you grab someone's hand as we went into prayer together before the very throne of God, for we know that he was listening, and we are grateful for that. Uh, with fame comes a great potential of worldwide shame. And you ought to know that everybody that's watching you and your family is not your fan. This international celebrity learned this, this truth the hard way. For two years, he was followed in his public ascension to celebrity status by the news media as his wealth and popularity expanded in America and abroad. There were tabloid reporters that were looking for dirt on this star that shined so brightly that even his competitors could not speak ill against him. Unknown to him, he was being video recorded when he was secretly engaging in immoral behaviors. The photographs were sold to the tabloid newspaper outlets. Once they got the good, juicy, slanderous stuff, they sent this ascending star the pictures of him engaged in activities that were salacious with a woman other than his wife. Realizing that this could wreck his career and his marriage, he agreed to literally allow a particular tabloid outlet to blackmail him. Instead of publishing the pictures, the newspaper used them as leverage in the star's life by forcing him to become a spokesperson for their company, netting them millions of dollars. The secret remained hidden until one affair led to multiple affairs that ultimately were discovered by his wife. Once the secret was exposed, the public outrage and personal consequences were swift and devastating. His private life of misdeeds was exposed for all to see. Now, if we were totally honest, some of us would have to admit that we love scandal. We, we like salacious stuff. We, we want to know about dirt. Now, while it is true that scandals can be entertaining, in fact, one of the most popular rated shows on TV actually was called Scandal. It's cool when scandals are about other people. But when you are the subject matter of a public scandal, it isn't any fun. 
Now, we're going to make sure we don't get chased out here with the heat. Make sure it's on 68, please. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Still preaching, y'all. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29, we are introduced to a church that was steeped in scandal. The church at Thyatira was a tabloid church with many secrets. While the church itself was located in the smallest city and probably had the smallest congregation of all of the seven churches, Jesus devoted more time in what he had to say writing to the church than any other any of the other seven churches. Church secrets, sin that we know about in the church but do nothing about, renders a local assembly powerless. That is why you can have 69 churches in a two-mile radius in crime soaring out of control. The church is physically present in the community, but too often secret sins that are really aren't very secret to the public has rendered our testimony useless. It is like the salt that Jesus spoke about in his parable where he says salt without flavor is useless. It is only good to be trotted underfoot. If a church loses its testimony, it's like salt without flavor. We have no power. Listen at the words that Christ shared with the church of Thyatira as it attempted to cover sin, hide sin. He says in verses 24 through 25, now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to the teachings, to her teachings, and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have, what you have until I come except for you to hold on to what you have until I come. The secrets they hid, Christ refers to them in verse 24 as satanic in their origin. He calls them the deep secrets of Satan, and really they weren't secrets at all. They were just almost like an initiation to members in the church to learn how to justify sin while at the same time serving in the church. In this passage, Christ exposes the church based on what they thought was hidden from him because nobody in the church acted like anything was really going on. The church closed its eyes to public and private sin. The leadership didn't want anybody to be offended. They didn't want people to feel unloved and to leave and go to the church down the street. I mean, after all, that would impact the church's offering. Now, from the outset, I want to address your attention to the author who sent this letter to the messenger, to the pastor, to the pastor to the angel of the church is none other than the person who, who identifies himself in verse 18. He says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. And so the first thing that I want you to notice in terms of if we, in the developing outline is the author of the letter identifies himself to the church. He doesn't want any question to be left unanswered regarding his identity. 
And the first thing that Jesus says about himself, he says, I am the son of God. Now, the interesting thing about this particular identification of Christ is he, I, he makes reference to himself in Revelation chapter 1. He says, I am the son of man. And that designation of Christ focuses on his incarnation, on his humanity. But Christ doesn't want to emphasize his humanity in verse 18. Because in the city of Thyatira, most of the people worship the god Apollos. And the god Apollos, little g, was the god, was considered the sun god, the energy god. And so Jesus said, let me, let me get some things clear. He may be the false son God, but I am the literal, the son of God. So Jesus emphasizes his deity. Jesus was and is and always will be the eternal son of God. He is co-existent, co-eternal, and co equal to God. I like the way the Living Letters Bible puts it in Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. It says, for, for Christ, for in Christ lives all the fullness of, the God, of God in human form. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human form or in a human body. While the New King James renders it like this, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Christ is not just a son of God like all of creation. We are offsprings of God. Christ is not just um, like the angels are called the sons of God, but he is the only son of God. He is the eternal self-existing God. He is God in human form. He is both God and man. Now, the reason he designates this particular attribute or characteristic about himself is that he wants us to understand that there's some emails that you may not open. There's some text messages you may not feel like reading. There, there's some mail that may come through your, the post office that you just don't want to open. But if the mail is coming from the Son of God, the eternal, self-existent, equal co-eternal God. That's mail that you don't want to ignore. You want to open that mail. You want to be sure that you do not miss what the God-man has to say. He, he describes himself further. He says, I have eyes like flames of blazing fire. This image symbolizes that Christ sees with his all-seeing, omniscient eyes everything. There's nothing that escapes his notice. His flaming gaze speaks of the fact that nothing that is hidden escapes him. Nothing escapes his notice. He sees all of the hidden things, the things that we don't show other people. It's like what 1 Samuel chapter 16 says, that man looks at the outward appearance, but the all-seeing, flaming, blazing eyes of Christ, the divine laser eyes of Christ, is able to see our hearts. His flame burned through the hidden agendas, impure motives, the things we can cover up with religious activities. Isn't it interesting that fire can burn everything that though everything but those things that are fireproof? And what we don't want fire to burn, we will put in fireproof safes. What the scripture is saying here, that everything that doesn't really matter, everything that is done out of a pure heart, everything that, that doesn't please God, the flaming laser divine eyes of Christ that will bring judgment upon us will burn it all away, and everything that we've done will be totally exposed. 
I like the way the Apostle Paul says, he said, every man's work shall be tried according to what sort it is, whether it's wood, stubble, or hay, or silver, stone, or precious gold. And if your works are burned, if they suffer loss, you yourself will be saved. But everything that you did, even though people were impressed, will be burned up. And so when the Lord said, I am the Son, the eternal Son of God, I have divine laser eyes that see beyond the fake, beyond the, the facade. I'm going to be dealing with you not based on what you say or even what you do. I'm going to be dealing with you based on the why you have done what you do in my name. He also, the Bible says that he has feet like polished bronze. Now, notice it gives the comparative adjective like polished bronze. Bronze. It doesn't mean that Jesus is black <laughs> or white. It's not, it's not emphasizing uh, color, but it's symbolic of what bronze represents in the scriptures. Not only does the Lord with his omniscient eye see everything beyond the surface, even what's, what is hidden, what he sees and is in, in, in his eyes, a reflection of what he sees is, is seen in his polished bronze feet. He can see as he stands ready to bring judgment upon those who have been hiding sin. And so the bronze feet symbolizes that he is the judge that sees what the omniscient Christ is revealing, and he will execute judgment. Now, why should we be concerned about the words of the author? Obviously, he's the son of God. But in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, the Bible says we, are, we need to be reminded of these things, three things. It says that the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And then he says, you have done a foolish thing. And from now on, you will be at war. And we're not going to go into the full context, but let me just share three things. We're talking about the eyes of the Lord range throughout the entire earth. The first thing that we need to understand about these, the divine laser eyes of Christ that discerns all things, is that the Lord is watching at all times. The Lord is watching us at all times. And not only is he watching, but he knows every secret, every conversation, every text message, every picture, every, every encounter. He knows everything about us. And then the third thing is that, that he will strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He is concerned not only about what we do, but he's concerned about why we're doing it. So the Lord is watching at all times. He knows every secret, and he will strengthen us when our hearts are right towards him. And so just understand, you may be involved in whatever, and you say, well, church folks aren't around, the pastor's not around, and, you know, I'm, I'm on vacation. <laughs> you know, I'm at work. I'm with my fraternity, fraternity brothers. I'm with my sorority sisters. What goes on in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. Well, God, the son is right there with his all-seeing eyes in whatever circumstance you find yourself in, and he's watching. He's in the room. He's in the bed. He's in the bath. Wherever you are, the Lord is right there discerning whether what you are doing is right or wrong. And he who has the polished bronze feet is standing ready to judge. The interesting thing is that he, didn't, he has not judged. The fact that you, that, 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 thank God that he is long-suffering towards us. He is standing ready to judge. The Bible says that the wrath of God, the anger, the righteous indignation of God is, is, is revealed from heaven. It's abiding over us. It's like a cloud that is ready to burst, it, but the cloud hasn't burst. And sometimes we think that God has not seen it, that God is, is letting us get away with it. But no, he is patient and long-suffering. He's giving us an opportunity to recognize that the judge who is watching those things that don't honor him could execute divine righteous indignation at any moment. Now notice a second thing. Not only is the author 
clear about his, his identity. He's not just a God, a, 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 a human being that is called the Son of God. Or an angel is called the Son of God, but he is the eternal Son of God. He shares his approval for the things that the church was getting right. I'm so glad that the Lord doesn't just focus on what we do wrong. He's not sitting around in heaven watching what we do with a big sludge hammer waiting to, uh, you know, pound on us. Or he's not sitting around waiting to rain on our parade. No, he acknowledges his approval of things that they were getting right. He takes notice. Now, notice what the Lord approves of in this church of Thyatira. And I want to say this to some of the believers who, some of us are perfectionists. And when we fail, we just think that, you know, we're not saved and the world is going to end. I've even heard of Christians who committed suicide because they could not overcome a particular area in their life. In 1 John chapter uh, 1, verses 8 through 10, it says, if you say that you have not sinned, you make God a liar. We, We will sin. The ideal is that we should not sin. But the real deal is that we do sin, and when we do, and if, it, if, the, if, if the reality of sin was not a possibility for Christians, we wouldn't read 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all, all, all unrighteousness. There wouldn't be a need to confess. There wouldn't be a need for cleansing if we did not fall short in our desire to please God from time to time. And so we will fall short. But instead of focusing on what you're doing wrong, you need to look at the victories in your life that God is allowing you to experience. You need to learn how to celebrate your victories. Now, one of the things that he said that they were victorious in is he said they were a loving church. They loved one another. This was also a church that they said that your faith is what I approve of. They, were, they, they exercised saving faith. I would say that the members of the church, by and large, were saved. They were born again. They had saving faith, not dead faith. Saving faith is the kind of faith that places its trust in the completed work of Christ and receives him by faith, depends on him plus nothing else to get them into heaven, he says, I approve of your saving faith. He said, did you also are a ministering church? I could see this church giving food out to the community, maybe giving uh, the, uh, the COVID-19 shots out to the community and uh, being involved in other ministries, uh, allowing people to come get uh, getting tested, all kinds of activities, choirs and praise. This was a very, very uh, 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 ministry-focused church. This was not the kind of church where the members came and sat and just were bench warmers. They were actively involved. And Jesus said, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed with that. And then he added, he says, they were also improving in all of these areas, in their love, in their faith, in their service. Christ said, I, 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 I'm not going to deny that these things are present in the church, And there's growth in these areas. Now, I wonder uh, if you were looking for a church and you said, what kind of church am I looking for? You would look for a church that had love, that had saving faith, and that had ministries. I mean, children's ministries where you can bring to church. uh, And and they had other kinds of things. And and that might be a church that you would want to join. But I want to suggest to you that love without accountability is not love at all. The Bible says that God chastens those who he loves and that the love of Christ (laughs) constrains us. This stuff that we would do, but because the Lord loves us, he will use the spirit of God to pull that chain and yank us back to keep us from destroying ourselves. Love does not allow you to do whatever you want to do. Grace is not sloppy agape. It doesn't mean that you get saved. And because we're saved by grace, you can continue to live any kind of way. Paul says, may it never be, may it never be that you 
consider in your mind that God is only concerned about me, my ministry. He's only concerned that I love other people. He's only concerned that I say yes to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. No, the Bible says that God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not just enough to have a devotion to God through love, faith, and service, but you got to be basing that devotion on sound doctrine. James said that, that faith without works is dead. And, and, and some, sometimes we can be working for God in ministries in the church, but that doesn't mean that God is working through you. So Christ goes from sharing his approval of the church and clearly identifying himself as the author of the letter to the church. I am the son of God with flaming eyes that pierce through the hidden things and my feet are like polished bronze. I, I, I see in the reflection of the things that the eyes of the omniscient Lord can see and I'm standing ready to judge. And because... The things that I'm seeing don't negate the things that are not pleasing to me, even though you're doing things that, that, that I just mentioned. I have accusations that I'm, I'm going to wage against the secret sins that are in the church. I'm I need to expose things that are hidden. One of the best things that you could ever do is get an annual physical examination. And sometimes you maybe feel totally healthy. You're eating better than you've ever eaten. You're working out and everything seems to be fine. And then the doctor just does a central cardiac exam, putting you on the treadmill. And all of a sudden you start having, you start perspiring and feeling chest pains, et cetera. And then the doctor said, well, let's, let's look at this thing. Let me, let me go beyond the natural eye. Let me do, let me use some laser here. And then the doctor begins to test you with special equipment and he discovers that you have a blockage in your heart. Now, if you didn't get examined, you would not have known, and that blockage in your heart could have been fatal. Well, the same thing is true. It's one thing for the church to say, I'm, we have faith. We, 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 we serve, and we love each other, and our church is growing, and look at all the people who are coming. And it says, wait a minute, it's checkup time. It's checkup time. And so the Lord's accusation about secret sin in the church, he says, it needs to be exposed because it is potentially devastating and destructive. It can kill your church. It can kill your marriage. It will kill relationships if you don't deal with this blockage that is hidden from the natural eye and in the sense that it's not being addressed. He said, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate, you allow, you accept this woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. Uh, it's interesting that in the, uh, live new, the, the uh, NIV, the word is translated prophet, while in the New King James and other versions, it's translated prophetess. I, I kind of side with the NIV because in the New Testament, during the early part of the church, the, the prophet was a specific, like a deacon and an elder were officers in the church, and officers now in the first century church a prophet was a leader or an officer in the church. And so this woman called herself an officer in the church. She was a female preacher. But we'll, we'll talk a little, we're going to talk a little bit about the, the, the key is going to be that she, she decided, not God, that she would be in a position that he never ordained her to serve in. She called herself a prophetess or a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. Revelation chapter 2, verses 20 through 21. Now, what was the offense that the Lord accused them of? The first 
offense had to do with the fact that the leadership of the church at Thyatira tolerated a person that was given the symbolic name Jezebel to operate in a role that God had not ordained her for. She called herself, and the leadership allowed her to operate in that role without proper divine calling. I am a prophetess, but I'm really, but she really wasn't. And the, and the leadership knew about it, but said nothing, nothing about it. What Jezebel was, in fact, she was a high priestess in the temple of Baal. When you go back, the original, original uh, name Jezebel is from 1 Kings chapter 16 through 19, and then 2 Kings chapter 9. And the interesting thing about this woman, Jezebel, after the original Jezebel dies, no other person in the entire Bible and in the world to this very day names their daughter Jezebel. And if someone called you a Jezebel as a woman, they ain't complimenting you. Jezebel led the people of God during the time of Elijah. The reason God raised up Elijah was because of Jezebel. She married Ahab, the king of the ten northern tribes of Israel. And even though she was the daughter of Eshbel, who was a high priest of cult worship, the worship of Baal, the fertility god, the god of sex, she was a, she was a priestess. He married her, and she basically, even though he had the title king, she ran the kingdom. He was a hem-pecked husband. And what Je under Jezebel's, she's the most wicked, evil woman in the entire Bible. There's no one that parallels her. She, and so the woman in Th uh, Thyatira, the name Jezebel is really a designation. It's not the actual name of the person. The woman in Jezebel was acting like the Jezebel of 1 Kings chapter 16 through 19. The Jezebel in the church today is not a person, but she's a spirit. Now, I'm jumping ahead, but let, let me just run. Jezebel used her sexual appeal to seduce Ahab, the king of Israel, to marry her. And as I've already said, she actually ran the kingdom. What she said he did, when he couldn't get what he wanted, he would cry to his wife, get behind her apron or get in bed and, and be depressed. And she going, what's wrong, honey? And he'd tell her what was wrong. And she said, you just lay there. I'll take care of it. And she was ruthless. She would do anything to get whatever she wanted without any conscience about it. She was a narcissistic, satanically empowered woman that led the people of God. Not only did she have thousands of the prophets of God killed, that's when Elijah said, I'm the only one left, Lord. I haven't been to me, and look what she's doing to me. This woman was so terrifying that grown men were afraid of Jezebel. Just the mention of her name, when Elijah, who had prayed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years and it didn't rain, when Elijah was fed by the ravens and fed by the woman from Zarephath, and he killed uh, with 400 prophets and told rain, after he did all of that, when he heard that Jezebel was on, was going to get him, the Bible said he ran for his life. That spirit of domination can terrify a weak man. Jezebel ran the nation of Israel away from God. She is a symbol of a spirit in the world that attacks the church through seduction to gain dominance. She uses sex, flirtation, sex, I said sex, but flirtation to attack primarily men in the church who are in the highest levels of leadership to, to, to basically nullify them by controlling them based on what she has now to hold against them sex with her. 
isn't it interesting that most men who are in leadership in the church, the primary cause of a minister falling is sex, sexual sin. And sometimes what the devil actually does is he will place in the church a woman who has a Jezebel spirit, especially when God is blessing that ministry for the purpose of gaining influence to dominate the church. I actually heard a preacher say that when a minister has been overtaken in sexual sin, he can't preach about certain things. And the reason he can't is because Jezebel has his pants. And it's as if every time he preaches, she's waving his pants from the audience to his face. You're going too far. We're not talking about that today. We need to talk about ain't he all right. We need to talk about ain't God good. We need to be talking about ain't he good all the time. We need to be saying, no, I don't have a sermon today. The Spirit of God told me, let's just worship. Because she's dangling his pants in front of him because she has defeated him through a spirit of subduction that has led to a fall that now has caused her to gain dominance in the church. As I've already mentioned, Jezebel's main target is male leadership in the church. We have the most power in the church, and in the church in particular, her target is men because she is interested in destroying the church. And if you can't get the pastor or the elders or the deacons, now you get men and destroy their families because this church is no stronger than its families. The spirit of Jezebel is satanic because he uses this kind of female to destroy churches, families, and friendships. And as I've already said, you don't want people calling you Jezebel and you're not going to name your daughter that because Jezebel is the personification of a woman who uses, it's like describing a prostitute who puts the makeup on and puts the tight clothes on and dresses sensually with the intention of enticing and luring a man into her snare to trap him to basically eliminate whatever influence he would have had by avoiding sexual sin with a woman with this spirit. Now, why did the Lord expose the leadership for allowing this sin in the church to occur? The first reason why the Lord addresses the leadership and says, nevertheless, I am not pleased, is Jezebel was permitted to have a title and teach in the church in spite of the fact that she lacked biblical credentials. Now, it's popular to uh, uh, people call themselves apostles and bishops and cardinals and so forth. When people take on a title and it's operating in a role of authority in the church, you can call yourself whatever you want to, but you need to go to the word of God and see if that role, if that position, if that gift aligns with what the scripture actually teaches. And if it doesn't, it doesn't matter how popular something is in the community of called the church. If it disagrees with the word of God, let God be true and every man be a liar. She had no credentials biblically to call herself what she had declared for herself. She said, I'm a prophet. Jezebel was allowed to persuade people to practice sexual sin and to participate in occult worship by eating meats that were offered up to idols. One of the reasons why idol worship that is often involved with the occult is so appealing is because it allows you to, to, to practice sin and still go to church and, 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 and shout and, and sing and, and, and talk about how good God is. It doesn't address the fact that the Bible, the Scripture clearly teaches us that you can't walk in the light while practicing darkness at the same time. Come out from among them, the Lord, to be ye separate. You are in the world, but not to be of the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can't have a renewed mind and be transformed while you are being squeezed into the mold of the world. The, her teaching that was being allowed in the church actually alongside the love and the faith and the service, occult practices were going on in the church that involved sexual orgies and perversion without any consequences 
Nobody talked about it. Nobody addressed it. They just winked at it. It's cool. What happens in the church stays in the church. It's a church's business. No, the church doesn't belong to us. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. They may be doing it outside of the church, and everybody may be cool with it, but I ain't cool with people who say that they are sheep, but they're acting like wolves. He said, beware of, uh, of prophets who come to you in sheep coldly, but inwardly they're wolves. Jezebel was allowed to persuade people to practice sexual sin and to participate in occult worship. Jezebel was placed in the church by Satan to control leaders through sexual sin. That's why she was strategically placed in the church. And one of the hardest things, uh, brothers, for me, I know I'm one of the most handsome brothers in the hand. You know, I just got it going on like that, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I don't tell myself that, ain't nobody else going to say it. But my wife will say, that woman likes you. I'll say, what are you talking about? My wife coming at me like that. Why you say I'm not thinking about her? I could care less. The last thing on my mind. What would make you go that way? And then she don't even need to talk. Your wife don't need to explain it. Just understand that your wife has a perception and a discernment that you don't have about females. Well, let's have her over. No, you don't want to have Jezebel over to your house. You're not going to convert her. Well, just let Jezebel, if you allow Jezebel to, to get one in, she's going to kick the door in and dominate. Brothers, well, I'm just going to raise up my hands. I ain't going to fool with her. If she, she want to run this thing, she want to be in charge. That's the spirit of Jezebel. And the Lord says to the brother, I don't care how dominating your wife may try to be. Your role in that home is to be the spiritual leader, the covering. You can't run. You can't retreat. You can't give up your God-given responsibility because she putting some heat on you. Well, we won't have sex. Well, we just won't have it. Well, we won't do it. We won't have sex for a couple weeks. We just won't have sex for a couple weeks. It's going to be cold up in here, but as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. We're not going to allow a spirit of Jezebel to live in our home because what happens when the spirit of Jezebel is controlling the church or the home, that spirit will destroy the ministry and destroy your marriage. Your husband will never become the leader that he could be if you're fighting against him with a spirit of Jezebel, a dominating spirit. I'm going to be in charge. I work just like him. In fact, I make more money than him. But I hear the Lord says, wives, come under voluntarily the authority of your husband. And I, I say this all the time. If you can't submit to a man, don't get married. Stay single and miserable or happy in your single miserableness. She just kept pressuring me in, kept this, this, wouldn't listen to what I said, and I just gave her the checkbook. No, you don't do that. Leadership is not about who's the biggest and the baddest, who makes the most money, who's the most intelligent. It's about divine order. And I want you to know, just like there's a spirit of Jezebel, there's a spirit of Ahab. Weak need, spineless men who will not stand for the Lord, even if it means standing alone. You need to be able to lead your home. Let me run on. So the Lord accuses them of allowing this woman, Jezebel, to permeate the church with a spirit of sensuality and false doctrine that led the people away from Christ while serving, while being saved, while being all loving, but they're practicing sin like all get out in private. Everybody knows who's gambling. Everybody knows who's going, who's prostituting. Everybody knows who's drugging. Everybody knows who's drinking. But it's cool. He, we just, it's, it's private. It's, it's in-house. No, it's not in-house. 
Here's the, here's the admonishment that the Lord deals with this, admonishment to deal with the secret sins that they tried to hide from the Lord who has the laser, divine laser eyes. I'm going to run on here. So he says, so I will cast her out of her bed of suffering, and I will take those who commit adultery with her, with suffering, and cause them to suffer intensely unless they repent as she refused to repent. That was another thing, the reason why the Lord was dealing with her. She refused to repent. She had an opportunity to repent, but she refused. I will strike her children dead. There will be ultimate consequences. And then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the heart and the mind, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Verse 24, now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, you who do not hold to the teaching, her teaching, and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, that is how you can be in the church and live a, a double life, one foot in the world, one foot in the, in the church. That, that ain't nothing secret about it. It's just a way to justify and rationalize sin and then put it under some kind of spiritual umbrella. God is love. God is grace. The, the, the raft of God is Old Testament. It ain't new. Okay, that's a, that's a secret thing because it, it, it is very, it's very clear in the Bible that that's not true. He says, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold to hold on to what you had until I come. In verse 26, it says, To the one who is victorious and does, and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations that one will rule with them and with the iron scepter, and I will dash them into pieces with like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give to them the morning star, and whoever has ears, let him, have, let him hear with it what I have to say to the church. And what the Lord says he's going to do, he says, for those who refuse to repent, he said, I'm going to cause pestilence to come upon the bed of Jezebel because of her harlotry. I'm going to cause disease to stricken her. And so the Lord said, every sickness is sometimes, is not the result of you not eating. God said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, it said, for this reason, some of you are sick. The Lord said, I'm going to make her sick on her bed of adultery. And he said, I'm going to kill all of her children. And her children are not biological, physical. These are disciples that are following her practices of adultery and occult worship. He said, there will be a consequence. One of the consequences is, for this reason, some of you are sick, some of you are weak. And he says, some of you even sleep. I'm going to take some of you out because there is a sin in the Bible unto death. And it doesn't matter who prays for you. Don't matter if the elders come and put oil on you. If, you, if God says you have run out of time, it's too late, baby. You're going to go out of here because of judgment. He says, I'm going to punish the children. I'm going to punish her followers. I'm going to discipline them because the churches are going to know that you may not lead us, you may ignore it, you may cover it, you may act like it's nothing, but I see it and I will take action and there will be divine consequences and there will be no question that it was me who brought divine judgment. And then he talks about rewards that he's going to give them. He says, I'm going to give you authority to reign with me. I'm going to give you responsibility to judge over the nations. When, when he establishes his kingdom, he says, I'm going to give you the morning star. And he said, I'm going to give you royalty. That The word morning star refers to none other than Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. And the morning star, the re they already have Jesus. But the, what happens in, in glory when Jesus establishes a kingdom, he talks about there's a radiant brightness that will come from me. And for those of you who have resisted seduction and practice living for me in your private life, he said, you're going to have a reflection of my radiance. I'm going to give you a special status so you're going to have authority and responsibility and divine radiance because of your obedience, because of your obedience to me. Some of you today, like me, probably watch the Super Bowl. Some of you are going to be rooting for uh, Tom Brady, uh, you know, the one who deflated the balls and the one who dropped the football against the Oakland Raiders, the tuck gate and all of the, all of the two of the Super Bowls. He shouldn't even won. They, they, they spied on the Eagles. You know, Bill Belichick. Uh, and uh, so, but one of the things that you don't watch the football game to see how nice the referees look. In fact, we don't want to see the refs at all. Somebody say amen. We don't want to see those jokers. 
the less you see of the, joke, the, 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 the referees, the more that means that the, the, the players are going to determine the outcome of the game. But guess what? You better have some refs out there. If somebody is not calling violations, and the violations are not subjective, they're not supposed to be, because there's a rule book called the, that comes from the NFL about how the game is supposed to be played. Now, we really get upset if there's partiality, if the calls are only going against the team we want to win. And they're, they're obviously uh, uh, bad calls. But the job of the referee is to be an objective observer to implement the rules according to the NFL playbook. Well, I want you to know that believers are in the world. We are to be the salt, the light. We, are the, we, we ain't trying to find out what other people are doing. But we have this book called the Bible, the Word of God. And when the word of God is being violated, I don't care if it's my mama and my sister, my brother, my wife. We have to call it out because the Bible says speak the truth in love. And when we speak the truth in love, the games will be played towards based on the regulations of God. And when that occurs, God is pleased. My goal is to please God. My goal is not to be accepted by others. My, I don't need you to pat me on the back. I don't need you to hear me recognize. All I want to know is if, I, if I'm not living for God, if you love me, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Tell me when I'm wrong. Tell me when the road is crooked and I need to go straight. Tell me how to get my life lined up with this word because God will not tolerate secret sin. He will expose it. Just like he did with the church of Thyatira. Let's pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we love you and we need you. The church is your house, your body, it doesn't matter what they're doing in somebody else's house. When it comes to the church, you said judgment starts at the house of God. And so, Lord, may we lovingly hold one another accountable based on your word. Because iron sharpens iron. We will never become all that we can be if we are comfortable in our sin. Father, God bless all of those who admit when they're wrong and confess and, and receive your forgiveness because all you desire is that we repent. And so, God, I thank you for the opportunity for repentance because when we repent, we can be reconciled to start all over again afresh. And now, God, bless your church. Father, as we finish in this prayer, I want to make an invitation for those uh, uh, 